Hi, the other day I read about Donald Trump declaring war on coronavirus. Is he really going to dispatch marines and attack the virus? Or send tanks and fighter jets to bomb the enemy's locations? Surely he can't be meaning that. The meaning of the warfare can't be literal, but figurative. In short, the war on the coronavirus declared by Trump and so many other people right now is a metaphor. Why are we using metaphors to talk about the COVID-19 pandemic? And how common metaphors are in our life? With me to discuss this issue and other issues is Maciek Roszynski. He is an assistant professor at the Institute of English Studies at the University of Warsaw. Uh, in 2018, he defended his doctoral dissertation on metaphors in mathematics and recently published his findings as a book under the title Metaphor Activation in Multimodal Discourse. His academic interests include cognitive linguistics, discourse analysis and gesture studies. My name is Bartosz Rutostański. This is IMP coming to you from the Institute of English Studies at the University of Warsaw via, of course, remote means of communication. Hi, Maciek. How are you these days? Uh, hi, Bartosz. Well, I'm fine. Thanks for inviting me to the podcast. Uh, no, I'm doing a lot of social distancing right now. <laughs> I, ha I have my all, all of my classes online. Um, right. So, right. Yeah. 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 Even this podcast is being recorded through remote means of communication. I'm talking with Magic on Skype. Hopefully, I'll me I will manage to somehow mix it up in my application uh, to deliver the best quality podcast. Uh, I can. No, but that's not the point of this conversation. The point of the conversation is metaphors. So, uh, Magic, please tell us what are metaphors and how do they enter our language? Yeah, so, so the topic of metaphors is something that uh, interested people for centuries, as you probably know. Uh, yeah, but, but, but maybe, me, because the uh, since, metaphors yeah, are yeah, since, uh, usually associated with, uh, with, with, uh, with the artistic language, like poetry, the novels, right? Uh, but uh, my example yeah. about the warfare on COVID-19 is not literary in the least, is it? No, no. And the thing is that uh, if you compare your example uh, with the virus uh, to more idiomatic expressions like, I don't know, we're having a fiery romance or mm. um, uh, this country's a sinking ship, right? Things like that. Yeah. You, you might think that metaphors are just those individual expressions, right? But then you look at the discourse that's surrounding us right now and you notice that it's actually very systematic because there's the, the, the epidemic is a war, right? And yeah. recently, uh, various world leaders announced themselves as uh, uh, war presidents and that mm -hmm. they are, are waging war on, 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 on the, the yeah, virus, exactly. right? Uh, I think uh, 
we often talk about uh, doctors and nurses as if they were on, on the front line, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in the danger zone and things like that. And, and this shows that the whole way of talking about the virus uses words from the domain of war that uh, our idea of what a war looks like structures the way uh, we perceive epidemics. So there's, there is some kind of similarity between the, the war itself and the ongoing epidemic? Uh, how, how, how do you understand that? It's not, uh, object, it's not an objective similarity. It's mm. more about a perceived similarity that for some reason we begin to perceive epidemics and wars as if they were similar. But this is a similarity which is in a sense created uh, by, uh, by language and by the, the way we think about these two phenomena. But it's not an objective similarity. Mm. It's, uh, we simply have problems with understanding what an epidemic is because the virus is invisible and lots of uh, social phenomena that are going on around the virus are very difficult to describe. Uh, but on the other hand, we have uh, this uh, very rich domain of war, which we uh, understand very well through cultural means, because there are lots of stories about wars, and lots of films about wars, lots of books yeah, about sure, wars. Sure. And we use all of that in order to explain what epidemics are. So basically speaking, a metaphor it kind of uh, lives off of a similarity between the domain of, uh, let's say, the, the virus in our example and the, the war itself and how, of course, the similarity, as I said, is kind of subjectively perceived, but there is this kind of, kind of correlation based on uh, similarities. Isn't that like how do you understand the metaphor? Um, is it just a similarity or is it something else? Well, in linguistics, uh, we instead of saying it's a similarity, we say that it's a mapping. A mapping? Okay. A mapping in the sense that we have the domain of <laughs> war. And mm -hmm. the domain of war has its own structure, in a mm -hmm. way, right? So in a war, there are two sides fighting with one another. Uh, in a war, there are generals. In a war, there are people who are on the front line, right? In the war, mm -hmm. there's ammunition. And, and all, these, all these are elements of the domain of war. And they structure this, dom this domain. Uh, all these elements... And all of the structure is then transferred or mapped onto the domain oh, of right. epidemic. Yeah. Right. Okay. And we, and when I was saying that there is no objective similarity between them, is that the epidemic doesn't have the structure. It's not mm -hmm. structured in this way that there are generals or there <laughs> are people on the front okay. line. So this is how people understand these yeah, concepts. Yeah, it's more about oh, it's, right. we are understanding the epidemic through the domain of war. We, we borrow the structure just to somehow uh, glue our experiences about epidemics together. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is 
not a stable structure in the sense that we can propose a different idea of what an epidemic is and then the, the structure of the domain of epidemic would change in this manner. Describing epidemics in terms of wars uh, has some very pernicious effects. So wars motivate people to act by means of fear and we become scared of the general society because of the metaphor. Uh, during a war, governments can basically do what they want because it's a state of emergency. Uh, in the United States recently, gun sales have surged uh, as if people were preparing for a literal war. And I think we could imagine discussing the present situation using different metaphors. So we could describe epidemics in terms of sports, where people are also facing a challenge, but in order to win they need to stick to the rules and co cooperate. And the element of fear isn't as important. Uh, another way of removing uh, fear from the equation would be discussing epidemics in terms of uh, journeys. Right? So it's something that we need to get through and you know, after some time life will still go on. We need to avoid certain obstacles that uh, are on, on this uh, journey through the epidemic. Okay, so would you say that uh, metaphors are indispensable for us to understand the reality in general and specific difficult phenomena in particular, like the pandemic these days? First of all, metaphors are ubiquitous. Uh, it's very difficult to... Uh, say a few sentences without using any meta metaphors because they are so prevalent in language. Uh, and yes, they are necessary because not all of our experience is easily describable. And very often we will use the things that we understand very well and the things that are close to us in order to explain something abstract and something difficult and, uh, and basically something which is very hazy. Okay, then. You said that the metaphors are, 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 are ubiquitous. Um, give us some examples of this ubiquity. You mentioned the fiery romance. Okay. Any, any other metaphors that we are using every day without really understanding that, the, that they are metaphors? A group of metaphors, uh, which is very difficult to spot, uh, uh, is a group of metaphors which deals with uh, the notion of time. Uh, because we talk about time uh, a lot, right? And we talk about events and the way the events uh, happen one after the other. Uh, but the problem is that we have very little experience of time itself. So time is also pretty abstract to us. We feel things like duration and we feel things 
like you know events which drag on and on but this kind of experience is, is very difficult for us to explain it's a, a little bit like with various emotions uh, but everything that happens all the events that happen they happen in space and because of that in order to talk about time we use the language of space to describe events in time. Okay, an example of that would be uh, Easter is coming. And this is, and this is, this is a metaphor, right? Yeah, there's nothing really special about this sentence, if you think about it. I, maybe you wouldn't consider it, it even as metaphorical, but if you look into it uh, a little closer, there's this word coming, right? And you can think that the event is approaching uh, you, right? And ap approach is another word to talk about time, right? There are various events approaching. Uh, uh, or you can talk about the things that are already behind you. And not about objects, but about uh, events which happened, which are behind you, right? All the... All the uh, at some point we'll be able to say that thankfully the epidemic is behind us, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. As if the epidemic was something that is located mm -hmm. behind, like literally behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I get it. Okay, and the other thing I would like to ask you about is that, okay, we, we, are, we use metaphors to talk about abstract concepts, um, feelings. Uh, but also, uh, as I know, that in your recent, uh, recent research, sorry, um, into the metaphors in science, uh, you discussed that they are, I mean, they are metaphors, are also quite common. Uh, so tell me more about your book, your research, and uh, what uh, basically you came up with. So when I was working on my PhD and, and subsequently on my book, this is something that actually uh, uh, interested me and, and motivated me to some extent, because uh, at one point I remember interviewing uh, mathematics teachers, uh, and I, uh, at some point I, I began asking them questions uh, about the, the role of metaphors in teaching mathematics. And I uh, met a few teachers from mathematics who would say that uh, metaphors in mathematics are great, uh, but uh, they are usually meant for the less talented students, so that you can explain the abstract stuff to those people who, who just don't get it. Um, and when I considered this uh, point, I, I really wondered whether this is, uh, this is actually the case, whether this is true. Um, and I believe that uh, it's not really the case, that there are so many metaphors in mathematics uh, that actually tell us what the concepts are really about. Um, that obviously, uh, starting from very basic metaphors in mathematics, right? How, we, how do you teach uh, arithmetics, right? You teach arithmetics using concrete objects, right? So instead of adding 
numbers, you add apples, and then because you know how to add uh, apples and oranges, uh, you're able to add numbers together. Right? Uh, but uh, then, after some time, you realize that uh, it's very difficult to keep this metaphor if you want to explain more more difficult problems with uh, with arithmetics, like negative numbers. What does it mean to have a negative amount of apples? Uh, that that's impossible, right? So, uh, but this is a point where you can simply go and choose a different metaphor. So, uh, in some schools, uh, students are taught how to perform um, arithmetic operations basically on the, on the stairs. So, uh, they, the teachers take their class uh, on the, to the staircase, and then when they have to add or subtract uh, numbers, they go up the stairs or down the stairs. And if they end up with a negative number, they just get to the basement, right? Because that's the that's the below uh, below ground level, and these are negative numbers for them, right? Um, okay, so now you have another metaphor that allows you to explain what negative are, uh, numbers are. But what about uh, what about things like fractions? What about things like uh, um, uh, ir irrational numbers. Uh, well, it turns out that you can find more metaphors to explain, explain these concepts uh, uh, as well. And at some point you'll be taking metaphors from uh, a different domain of mathematics, which is geometry, right? So you can uh, present numbers as, as if they were line segments, which, you know, uh, on an ob from an objective point of view, numbers and line segments are two different things. but but the moment when you start perceiving numbers as if they were line segments uh, uh, and you perform geometrical operations on those line segments, this is metaphorical as well. And you get... So what you end up with is you have a single mathematical concept or uh, a single mathematical branch like arithmetics, and you have a multitude of metaphors which can explain different aspects of arithmetics for you. So basically, the, the scientists are using metaphors to better explain uh, their highly advanced and highly uh, specialized concepts uh, to other people. What were the surprising metaphors that the mathematicians uh, are using to explain their, their, their concepts? The most surprising example of a metaphor in mathematics that I had in my interviews was when a school teacher described mathematical functions in terms of meat grinders. So basically, you have an argument or an input, and the input goes into the meat grinder, something happens inside and you get a value, an output, which is transformed. The example is a little bit funny, but it actually captures a very important fact about mathematical functions, that is that for a singular input, you can only have a singular output. Otherwise, if you have multiple outputs, 
for a single input, for a single argument, uh, this cannot be classified as a function. Functions are particularly interesting because they can be described in so many different ways in mathematics. You can use the advanced tools of set theory. You can uh, describe functions in algebraic terms. You can draw functions as graphs. And the thing is that a function is none of these things, but is also all of these things at the same time. Because all of these descriptions have their limitations. So if you go with the input-output machine kind of thinking, then you would find it very hard to explain what is continuity. What does it mean that a function is continuous? Because for numerical values, it's where you have single inputs and single outputs, it's very difficult to show this. Uh, you can explain continuity in algebraic terms, but that's a little bit too complicated for this podcast. Uh, but the easiest way to describe continuity is to draw a graph of a function. If you can draw your function as a curve with a single stroke of your pen, this basically means that your function is continuous. But graphs have their limitations as well. And in fact, you know, imagine that you draw a circle inside a system of uh, a coordinate system. Here, this, the problem of the circle is that uh, for a single argument, a circle gives you two values. So a curve of this sort isn't actually a function, and not every curve that you draw in a coordinate system can be classified as a function. So in the end it turns out that you need to know all those metaphors, the set theoretical metaphor, the input-output machine meat-grinder metaphor, uh, the algebraic metaphors and, and graphs to really capture the essence of the concept. Okay, uh, right. We're running, we're running out of time. Uh, Michael, thank you very much for this enlightening and informative um, and discussion. Um, uh, I what, is your book out already, or uh, is it uh, going to be published? Uh, yeah, it, it was published by Wydawnictwo uh, Naukowe Semper, and uh, you can buy it from their online store. <laughs> Thank you again, Maciek. Thanks, uh, thanks to your cat. Take care and stay healthy. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.